I can like, if I just do the audio, I can put the whole thing together in like two minutes. Whereas doing the video, I spent like four days and got nowhere. <laughs> got nowhere. But uh, we are live. I'm here with B Young. How's it going, man? I didn't mean Good. to catch you by surprise. Um, so my first question, because this is the first time we met, yeah. I was like looking through your Spotify, and first off, I gotta give you credit for being like super candid in your your bio. You talk about some serious shit, like your dad passing away your, when you were younger, uh, spending time in juvie. So since we've never met, I was just kind of wondering if I could get like a quick biography. So I grew up in St. Anthony, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Fucking, you know how it is, small town. Uh, didn't really have, you know, a whole lot. We weren't like broke, broke, but we made it by, you know. My dad was disabled when I was a kid. He was super sick. He had a bunch of different diseases. He had kidney failure and stuff. So most of my life, his kidneys functioned at like 12 to 17% from what I understand. So like they didn't work. Um, So he was dying of that pretty much my whole life. So he was disabled from what, at least as far as I remember. So I kind of had a dad. I had a dad that I could talk to and do things with, but I didn't really have like a normal dad, I wouldn't say. But we developed a really good friendship and we were really close for a long time. And my mom worked. She's a nurse and she worked full time at the hospital for a long time. And then I was 12. She got let go. Cause it just happened to deal with like three kids at home. Plus my dad was disabled. So she had to take care of him and it just got too much with work and politics and stuff. So eventually she got let go there and then she got a new job. Um, and she's kind of been the breadwinner my whole life because disability, like a lot of people know you don't make shit. Like you get like maybe $900 to a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You can't live on that though. Like that's nothing. Kids. Yeah. And I have five older siblings too. That are, but there's a 13 year gap between me and my older brother mm-hmm. where my parents didn't have kids. I don't know if the story is true, but from what I understand, I was kind of like an accident. I wasn't <laughs> supposed to happen. And then they didn't want me to be an only child. So they had, they wanted to have another kid and they ended up having twins. So I have two little sisters that are two years younger. <laughs> so there's eight of us all together, which is kind of crazy because mm-hmm. all of my older siblings have kids now. One of my sisters actually has 10. Damn. Because she has six of her own and four foster kids right now that I think they're working on adopting. Damn, bro. Which is crazy. Like a little army. Yeah, there's so I have twenty <laughs> nieces and nephews. That's badass and though. It's five older siblings. It's kind of wild sometimes, yeah. honestly, and it causes a headache. Damn. When everybody's together, there's like almost forty people, I think now. Damn. With just my siblings and it's their like kids. Like half of Saint Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, I grew up with that. Like I had older siblings that kind of came around and hung out, but most of them live out of like two of them live in Boise, two of them live in Utah, and then my little sisters and my brother still live in this area. Gotcha. So, um, grew up there. I went to school in St. Anthony until sixth grade, um, at South Fremont. And then I switched schools to go to sugar cause I just didn't vibe with it. I didn't really like South. Mm-hmm. So I went to sugar until eighth grade. And then in eighth grade, um, my dad had a heart attack and I was just going through a bunch of shit. My gallbladder failed. So I had to have surgery and I got sick and I pretty much failed eighth grade. So instead of me redoing it, cause I didn't want to redo it. We just took me back to South Fremont for my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to school there and then it's kind of a wild year that year. So my freshman year or between my freshman and eighth grade year. So like the, the last part of my eighth grade year, my dad had a heart attack and that almost killed him. And we didn't really expect that coming. You know, we didn't know he had heart problems, but he had a 99% blockage in what's called a widow maker. So it causes you to like pretty, it's called a widow maker because it'll kill you. Uh-huh. And he survived it. They t- so he, he coded. Died right there yeah, no, he, he did die. Like he coded like a couple of times on the table. Damn. Um, and they shocked him like 12 times, I think. And he said he remembered a bunch of them and stuff. And 
It was crazy. He said he had like a near-death experience. Like he said he saw white and he doesn't remember anything else, but he begged the nurses and doctors to give him a pen and paper to write it down. Uh And they wouldn't give him anything. Like obviously they're like, you just fucking died. We're not going to give you a pen and a paper to write down what you saw. Like we were working on your ass. Like, no. So he doesn't remember much more than that. But, um, and then that, I believe like September, August, September, October area, he started kidney dialysis to help with his kidney failure. Mm-hmm. And when they put like, there's a port they have to put in when they do that, like in your arm. So they did that and it, he got a staph infection in his blood Fuck. and he was in the ICU in Idaho falls for like two fucking weeks, like yeah. dying. And we were like, eh, like he's, he doesn't die. Like he can't <laughs> die. Cause his kidneys just shut down two or three times where he'd pretty much died. His heart had failed and he'd pretty much died. Like he just couldn't die from what we all like felt at least. Mm-hmm. So he got really sick with that and he actually ended up coming home and then he got a nosebleed and it bled and bled and bled and he lost like a shit ton of the blood in his body because he had no white blood cells so it wouldn't clot. Yeah. So they took him back to the ICU and he was in there for another like three or four days getting blood put back in him and getting everything back up to the right levels. And then he came home and they kept doing the kidney dialysis and he started feeling better. Um, and then in December of that year, so it was 2015, I woke up at six o'clock in the morning to my parents screaming at us and smoke alarms going off. And we were living in my, the house that I grew up in St. Anthony and my parent, my dad was super sick. And when you don't, when you have kidney failure, you know, a lot of that shit goes to your head. So he was a little bit crazy. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> he was kind of wild. So my parents didn't sleep in the same bed for a long time. They didn't really get along. So he had a room downstairs. Mm-hmm. And at this time, he'd started feeling better, so a lot of shit was getting better between them, so they were staying in the same bed. So my dad was sleeping upstairs with my mom, and I had the only bedroom downstairs. And the room that he had was also downstairs. And there was no door on the uh, on the hinges, so there was just a blanket hanging in front of it because it was kind of a wild house. It was wild times. Uh, and I could, you know, I woke up, and my dad's yelling, hey, get up. Mm-hmm. And I get up, and I walk out my bedroom, and that's, like, across the hall to my right. Um, right beyond the stairs that go upstairs from the basement. And I could see like the flames just underneath the blanket. Like it was a total inferno. Um, so I went upstairs and I heard my dad yell for a uh, like a fire extinguisher. He's like, son of a bitch. I need a fire extinguisher, like freaking out. Cause it was bad. Um, and my mom's like, well, we don't have one. Like we, we don't have one of those. And he's like, well, shit. And I went out, I was only 14. So I went outside and got out of the house and got my little sisters and we got our two dogs at the time out and my sister's hamster didn't get out sadly (laughs) (laughs) um but we all got out and my mom and everybody and we got out and we went out and pulled the car out of the driveway and parked Uh and we were sitting there and we were like where the hell's dad so i wondered where he was you know we were like what the fuck like why isn't he coming out so my mom was like hey i don't know where he is so I went around like the back of our house because we had a back door that went to the basement Mm -hmm. and I went around the back to see if I could like look in the door and find him, you know? And as I went around the back side of the house to go around the final corner to get around the back side, he came around and he was just like purple. Um, and he'd inhaled too much smoke so he couldn't breathe at all. So I got him to the car and then the cops finally got there. It'd been like, I don't know, half an hour since we called him. He's in the car in the passenger seat in the front and we sat him there and I went back in the house and we had oxygen inside. We didn't want it to explode. And obviously I wanted to hook him up to that so he could breathe. Mm-hmm. So I went in and got that. Damn. 
That's courageous, um, dude. It was like right inside the door. It's not a oh. big deal. <laughs> but I, yeah, I went back in and grabbed that and hooked my dad up to it with my mom and my sisters. And then the fire department got there and everything. And we had really good neighbors growing up. Like everybody was really nice. Um, and we had neighbors down the street that had seen the smoke and he was out shoveling his driveway. So he took me and my little sisters down to their house and he got me a coat and stuff. Cause I was in gym shorts, Nike skateboard shoes with no socks and a tank top. Yeah. Um, in December it had snowed like eight inches. So there was a bunch of snow that day. And so we went down there and got a jacket. And as I came back down, you know, I could tell when he was sitting in the car, like he wasn't doing so hot. Yeah. Like I could just kind of see everything fading away. And then I got back down there and I could see him in the ambulance and they were doing CPR. And I was like, shit, like, okay. Like he doesn't die. We're good. (laughs) You know? Um, and as time went on, you know, I went throughout the day. I went through, I went with the insurance agent to the insurance agency to make sure there was homeowners insurance because he was like one of my young men's leaders when I was a kid because I grew up LDS Mm -hmm. uh, because my mom was Mormon and my dad was too from what I understand they were supposed to be I don't know Uh, my mom's a saint she's never done anything wrong in her life I swear she's amazing you know Mm -hmm. she does the best she can Um, and my dad he was a pretty good guy he was kind of a pothead (laughs) but he was he was a good guy and I really loved him you know we were best friends Um, so I went with them to the insurance agency, please check that stuff out and went back to my homie's house because I didn't want to go to school (laughs) and went back to my homie's house and I played video games and, you know, I got a call from one of my, from him again. He was like, Hey, you know, they got your dad to the hospital in Rexburg. He's going to be okay. And I was like, cool. All right. Like bet. And then a couple hours later, another one of like, he was my home teacher growing up. Um, he picked me up and he's like, Hey, we're going to go pick your sisters up from school. Like, and I'm like, okay, like they're not out of school yet. Like what's going on? He's like, well, we're just going to go get them, you know, and he doesn't say anything. And we go and pick, uh, we go and meet them at like this off the side of the highway highway. We meet with them and the other young men's leader that was the home insurance agency mm-hmm. guy and his wife. And then they have my two little sisters and then me and the other guy got in the truck and we called my mom on the phone, like on the speaker in the truck. Yeah. And she told us, she's like, Hey, like your dad's gone. And I was like, huh? Like, what? And she's like, your dad, like, he's gone. Like, he didn't make it. And I was like, shit. And honestly, like, I didn't break a tear. Like, nothing. Like, I didn't break down at that moment. Like, I just, believe. no, I dude, I just stared off. I was like, the fuck? Like, this doesn't sound right. Yeah. And my friends all asked me, they're like, are you okay? Like, you good? And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, I'm fine. Like, we're good. And I just didn't really believe it for a really long time. And then, you know, we got by and we went for through for a few weeks. The house was totally destroyed, so we had to rebuild which was super fortunate. I mean, the house that we grew up in, it kind of got destroyed in the whole process of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really bad before it even burned down. So it was kind of a blessing there in disguise where my dad also, he was super sick, you know, at least now he's not sick anymore. So my mom's got a beautiful house now. Amazing. Like way better than she ever started with. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously a blessing. So we just kind of took the good things out of it. We moved forward and then we had the funeral and everything and time went on. And then eventually I just kind of like broke down and I was like, fuck, like this is real. Dude, that was like, and it was a ton of like traumatic shit in a short period of time. Yeah. So I just kind of was like, fuck. And I broke down and I went through a lot of shit and obviously like I'd smoked weed a few times before, like, you know, a couple of times with my cousin and some other shit. Um, and then like after a couple of months, I just started like, I was drinking cause I never thought I would really drink, 
you know, growing up, like my brother was, got into some trouble with drinking. He got a bunch of DUIs and I just never thought I would drink. Mm -hmm. And I started drinking a ton. I was smoking a ton. Um, and then eventually, you know, I got into other things. I was popping acid all the time. I was popping pills all the time and things got really dark for a while. Um, I attempted suicide a few times just cause I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and eventually I got sent to JCC for pot. I got put on probation for truancy because I skipped school after my dad died. I wouldn't go to school. So they put me on probation for that. Um, and obviously, I mean, I was smoking weed at the time. They drug tested me on the 5th of July after I cleaned up fucking fireworks for community service. They drug tested me and I failed. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, slap on the wrist, like do a class. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, two weeks later they came back and they're like, you haven't done your class. Like what's going on? And I'm like, oh, sorry. Like I just haven't got around to it. And they're like, well, we need to UAU again. And I'm like, well, fuck, I'm dirty again. And they're like, well, we also want to search the shop that you guys were just in. And I'm like, well, like, that's not my place of, like, residence. Like, you can't search that shop. Like, that's separate from the house. And it was the house that we were renting while the house had, while we were building our new house. And they're like, well, you were just out there and you had access to it, so we can't search it. And I was like, well, what the fuck? So they searched it. um, And they found, like, a plastic bottle that we'd made into a fucking smoking device. (laughs) And some fucking, they actually scraped ash, like, from shit that we'd blown out of the socket from smoking, like, just marijuana ash. Mm -hmm. They scraped that into a bag and called it possession of a controlled substance. And then they took all the other shit and called it paraphernalia. And this was in July of fucking, of, let's think, 16. I didn't go to court for this until January of the next year. So... I was smoking the whole time. They weren't checking up on me doing anything. And then all of a sudden they show up on my birthday in January and they're like, Hey, we're going to drug test you. And I'm like, well, I'm dirty. (laughs) So then I went to court and got another two years of probation. Um, And then I actually did sober up for a bit. I wasn't doing shit. And then I just started smoking again because I was like, well, they're still not checking on me. Like Mm -hmm. they stopped checking on me. I'm going to start smoking again. Like, fuck it. So time went on. I fucking smoked and then... I got pulled, we got pulled over in Idaho Falls and we had weed with us. And it wasn't actually even me that got the charge, but I was with them. So they knew that I was dirty. So the next Monday I got my first jail sentence and I went for three days, which was not bad really. It was fucking three days, you know, Hmm. got out, was sober for a while. And then I went to a huge party and fucking got fucked up as shit and almost overdosed and died. Um, And then partied the whole weekend and continued on like a fucking, probably was like a 76 hour bender. Just drinking and driving, acid, pills, weed. Do, and then that Monday, I'd skipped school with my homie. And we were at my other homie's house. And I was borrowing his car. Mm-hmm. And we were over there. And my probation officer calls me. And he's like, hey, why aren't you at school? And I'm like, I'm sick. And he's like, well, like we're going to come check on you then. And I'm like, fuck. So I'm at my homie's house, which is like two blocks away. I hop in the car and speed as fast as I can home. And get inside the house. And as soon as I get inside, they knock on the door and I'm like, fuck. And I open it and I'm like, look, dude, I'm dirty. All right. You caught me. (laughs) I was like, I'll piss dirty. And he's like, well, we knew that, but we want to search the car you just pulled in your garage. And I'm like, fuck. And they open the car and there's like a fucking whole ass bottle of Malibu. There's a water bottle mixed with fucking orange juice and vodka. There's a fucking joint stuffed in the sunroof. Um, My fucking mod was sitting on the seat and I was only what? 16. So I caught a bunch of charges right there and went to jail. And then I got out, went back to the same shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this, how long did you serve this time? Dude, that was like, oh, fuck, what was that? Like a week maybe? Like so a, still, probably like a week. Yeah. 
Um, and then I went out, got out and started partying again, got caught again, got out of jail, went back to doing the same shit and then pissed dirty again. And they took me back to jail and I got out and then I was out for like two weeks on house arrest, just raising hell, not giving a fuck. And then my ass went to JCC for like 16 months. Damn. So I got out of there and find, and I was 18. So I was like, okay, it's time to start like growing, like not yeah. fucking up. So I got off of probation and did everything I had to do. You know, I, I listened to the system. I said, fuck it. I'll do what you say. Let me, you know, I want out of this shit. And I did what I was supposed to So I, and got off early. Cut, I don't want to cut you off. But good. so was it just the overall sentence that made you like, fuck this, I'm done fucking around? Or is there like a specific moment that happened during that time period where you're like, you know, fucking up, I got to. It came to the point where my dad always told me it was, you know, he knew he was going to pass away. And my dad did tell me, he's like, it's your job to take care of your mom and your sisters when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I have two older brothers, but I was the man of the house if he was gone, you know, and it was my job to take care of them. And I realized I was in there and I was, you know, giving my mom a lot of pressure and a lot of pain and causing her issues. And also, you know, setting a terrible example for my little sisters of what to do. You know, obviously smoking weed is not the fucking end of the world. I still smoke weed like every fucking day i don't give a shit i love fucking pop i don't care it helps me it makes me feel better i like it so fuck 12 they can eat my ass i'm not gonna quit smoking weed but work the system you get in trouble do what you're supposed to do and get the fuck out of it so that you can do what you want yeah you know and i realized you know i'd been in there a year it's a indeterminate sentence so that means that you have to work the program to get out and for a year i was pretty much a fucking dumbass like, did not give a fuck, didn't yeah. listen to authority in there. So you're saying you could have got out in, like, four six months? Six months. Six months. Yeah, six to nine months. Dang. And I didn't work the program for, like, a year. And then after a year, I was like, okay, hey, fuck. I turned 18. I was like, shit, all right, time to wake the fuck up. And a big part of it, too, was I, you know, I had, like, PTSD and bipolar and fucking all this shit that they told me I had, mm. you know, and they're throwing these medications at me and shit. And I turned 18, and I was like, I'm done fuck your fucking meds, fuck your Adderall, fuck your, you know, like Zoloft or Wellbutrin or whatever the fuck Prozac. They were throwing so many fucking things at me. Lexapro. They tried everything and it just fucked with my head so bad. And I turned 18 and I had the right to finally be like, Hey, I'm fucking done. Don't give me this shit. And told them, okay, I'm cut my meds. I'm done. And I actually felt a lot better and got out of there in like four more months. I hear about that all the time. Like, especially so you, you're bipolar? No, I don't they think so. They just thought I was for some dumbass reason. No, honestly, and they said I was de- I have depression, but I feel like I've don't have that anymore either. Yeah. Like I definitely have some PTSD. Like there's no doubt about that. I've yeah, seen some shit. Traumatic shit. Like yeah. I've fucking done some stupid shit. I I have fucking bad nightmares and shit. Like yeah, I have PTSD, no doubt. And but depression, I feel like I've beat. You know, I I figured out my outlets and my places to go where I need to get away from that shit. The only thing that, you know, that really fucks with me personally anymore is, is anxiety. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, anxiety really bad sometimes. So I do understand that fucking conflict with people. And I had depression at one point or another, you know, whether I was depressed or actually had depression, you know, mm-hmm. I felt that shit, you know, mm-hmm. I felt pretty low. So at what point in this process, whether it was you just getting out of jail or while you were in jail, did music like, well, at what point did you realize I can use music as an outlet? So growing up, I listened to music a shit ton. Like it was all I did, dude. Kids would be out playing and shit. And obviously, I mean, I grew up riding BMX bikes and I loved that shit. I, 
you know, I was at one point like a sponsored rider mm-hmm. and doing some cool shit. And I probably could have gone a lot of places with it if I wouldn't have fucked up. But still sick. Uh, <laughs> most of the other time, dude, I was sitting in the house on the fucking, my mom got my dad like this old ass desktop computer one year for Christmas. And I would sit on it, dude, and just listen to music all day, all the time. And obviously, I mean, I grew up with a Mormon mom, so I didn't hear a lot of, about a lot of the shit that I obviously listen to now. But yeah. um, I don't know. I was probably like eight, dude. And I heard my cousin playing Eminem, and I was like, shit, that's dope. <laughs> and I went home, and I'd listen to it all the time. And my mom would be like, turn that off. That is horrible. Like, and I'm just like, I like it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I listened to a lot of that shit and I listened to a lot of Justin Bieber and like, dude, uh, everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. I was listening to everything from fucking country Taylor Swift to Justin Bieber to Nickelback in Lincoln Park and fucking everything. So I've always just loved music um, and just always sang along with the songs, you know, and like fucking just sang to myself and shit. Yeah. And then I got to jail and I was like, well, I guess I could like write music and shit. So they actually in JCC did not allow us to sing because they claimed that it would represent negative values um, because the songs that we liked weren't appropriate and shit. So yeah. they would not let us sing or rap or anything like that. But I was free to write them. Write so I would write it out, and I wrote you know songs in there. And now looking back at some of the shit I wrote, it's total ass. It's garbage. Yeah, but that, I mean, but that's start, where I started. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got out, dude. And I was with my homie, Jose. Um, and he actually he passed away last month. Um, I was with him and we were in the car mm-hmm. driving to, to go see my grandma. Cause I'd just gotten out of jail and I was going to see her at the nursing home. She also died this past year too. A lot of people have died in the last couple of years for me, but I'm just getting used to it at this uh-huh. point. I guess I'm getting uh, along. Sorry to hear that. Uh, so we went and saw it. We were going to see her and I turned on a beat in the car and I'm like, Jose, like I'm a freestyle. <laughs> and he's like, the fuck you are <laughs> like, you're not a rapper boy. And I'm like, dude, watch. And I freestyled, and he was like, yo, what the fuck? Like, that was good. And I'm like, shit, homie, like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I guess I could do this. And from then on, I just kind of free started freestyling a lot, and I'd freestyle with my friends. And I did that for a long time. Um, and I was in a really toxic relationship for a while, and, you know, there was no approval for following my dreams and shit. So none of that was really an option for a long time um, when I'd first gotten out. And eventually, you know, I cut that off. It was toxic. She's a fucking bitch. She's means, yeah. Like, obviously, I cut that off. Um, and I moved on and started figuring my shit out and tried to figure my life out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like, what do I really want to do? And I was a sales agent at the time, which is what I still am right now um, for a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, so, like, what do I really want to do? And a lot of my friends had told me, they're like, you know, like the one thing we see you like happy doing is when you're freestyling. And I'm like, I know, like, it just feels so nice to be able to relieve some shit. And they're like, well, that's like the only time that we've seen you happy for a long time. Like, and I was like, hey, like maybe I should pursue that. So I started just fucking figuring it out, posted a few songs on fucking SoundCloud, which I've taken down now because I've realized how bad they were. Um, And I actually surprisingly got a couple of people that were like, yo, this is good. Like you're going the right direction. This is dope. And I gained a little bit of a like following from some people, like not a lot, probably like a hundred people, you know? And I was just like, dope. Like these people, you know, they're liking my shit. They're listening to it. This is somewhere. 
Um, and eventually I got hooked up with Servant's Heart in Idaho Falls. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's crazy. Yeah, so I knew this kid named – his name's Talon, but he goes by Talented. Um, Is he and from I, Rigby? Maybe. Tall kid? I don't know where he's from exactly. And, you know, he's been a he's been a fucking big help in a lot of shit for me, you know. He actually got me my show where I opened for Afro Man, which was super dope. Damn, I never heard about that. Yeah. What, he, I mean, he was here – Few months ago, yeah, in October. So I opened for him, and Talon actually helped me get that show. He hooked me up with the promoter, um, and I was able to get on that and get it set up, which was super tight. But he referred me to Servant's Heart, and I met up with James, which is my producer um, and the co owner of the studio there. Mm. And I've been working with him for like, fuck, like over a year now, well over a year. And that's where shit really started to take off. He helped me out with getting like Distro Kids set up and starting to help my me get my shit on like real platforms Mm -hmm. and figuring it out and that's when i made fuck love which is probably like the only like old song that i still think is good Mm -hmm. in my opinion so i i don't have spotify so i'm not able to see everything but that's like is that like probably the oldest song you can find? yeah that is that is my oldest song is fuck love that's my like first single i put out on every platform sorry to cut you off again but on midnight you had a call back to fuck love yeah. I thought that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Did, did so, you say fuck love? yeah. I can't remember what it was exactly. But so, I was like, that's badass. I was making a lot of that music. I, the summer where in where I first started making, like, decided to make music, my little sister and my cousin and her boyfriend and my cousin's girlfriend, they all got in a car crash. Um, and they rolled multiple times and they were all ejected from the vehicle and everybody died except for my little sister. July 17th. Yeah. So on July 17th and that was 2020. And so her boyfriend died, my cousin and his girlfriend, her boyfriend was one of my best friends, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, he was super close to me. He'd actually helped me move like the table into the house that I had just gotten the night before that happened. So that happened. And then immediately after that, I broke off the toxic relationship, which was bullshit. And then I was just being, you know, in this toxic cycle for a long time where I was popping pills all the time, whether it was fucking Xanax or perks or whatever it was. Um, I was fucking doing anything I could to get fucked up and just not live real life yeah. for a long time. And then I got to a point where I was like, hey, like enough is enough. Um, and eventually I, I found myself in music, started getting off of shit. And now I haven't touched pills in well over a year. Um, found music and started weaning off a little bit, but obviously music can fuel that a little bit more too. Like rap music obviously influences a lot of that shit. So I was still doing it quite a bit. And then obviously I met my current girlfriend, um, which is who I'm still with. Yeah. And she is absolutely amazing. My little KJ. So life is pretty good now. She helped me out a fuck ton without her. I don't think I would honestly be alive. Um, the way I was headed with pills and that addiction, I was bound to be dead, just like fucking Juice and Mac and Lil Peep and everybody else that obviously I've looked up to for so long. Yeah. So she helped me figure that out, get off of shit, you know, get myself right. And she's helped me obviously continue to stay that way. I'm pretty sure she will fucking kill me if I ever touch anything again. So well, that's just her that ain't going to happen. Yeah. Well, that's um, awesome. And one thing I kind of noticed, I mean, mostly with Midnight, but I feel like your music has kind of gone into a... Like a love, well, at least with many, kind of a love song. Yeah. So, is she kind of an influence in your. Yeah, it's not obviously. Song or change, but like, 
the direction of your music? Yeah. So, I mean, starting out, I really thought that like maybe rap was going to be like my icon, like really being a rapper. And then I've kind of started to find my voice a little bit. And I was like, Hey, I, I like singing too, you know, and Kid Leroy is obviously a big influence of mine as well as like mm-hmm. a boogie or like Scory and Dro Kenji and obviously juice. And obviously a lot of their stuff is very melodic singing and stuff. Yeah. So I started going that direction a little bit, but I also want to be real to who I am and my life. So I didn't want to be saying, you know, like, hey, um, fuck love. Like this bitch broke my heart. My life is so fucking terrible. When in reality, I've got a fucking girlfriend. My life is pretty great for the most part. Like, obviously, I have struggles like everybody else, but yeah. I'm pretty blessed and fortunate to be where I am now. I've got a girlfriend. My life isn't where it was. You know, I still deal with PTSD and I still deal with anxiety. And obviously, there will be more songs about that kind of stuff, you know, that side of my life. But yeah. I mean, now I... You know, I am in love. I have a happy life. I want to make sure that the people recognize that, you know, that isn't what yeah. I am anymore. Yeah. Uh, you kind of brought it up about not just being a rapper. That's one thing I kind of wanted to give you credit for. You have, like most people when they're starting out, it's like, it's kind of just sounds like the same song. Same thing, yeah. And I mean, Midnight was like kind of a love song. Is it Heart Attack, Heart heart Beating? Heart Beating, yeah. yeah. it's like a little fucking rock that song. That song's wild. I fucking like that song, dude. Dude, honestly, I got in the booth with that one, and I was fucking stoned as shit, and he played that beat, and I was <laughs> like, dude, this is like one of those songs you jump and fucking scream to, and he was like, do it. Yeah, you and did. I'm like, you went fuck, hard, I, and I screamed at it, and at that point, I was just like, all right, this is kind of cool. So the rest of the song, I was like, okay, like, I really like Ski Mask, and I was like, yo you know, X and Ski made some shit like this. And I kind of used that as an influence a little bit. I was like, let's just do some kind of goofy shit on this. Mm. Like, let's make some jokes. Let's, you know, make it a hip vibe. Yeah. I was like, fuck her like the Bishop's daughter. (laughs) And I was like, yo, this is just like a total fucking, this is just a a laugh song. Like, and I really, I liked it, you know, and it's still kind of a vibe. And I think it's like when you're doing shit for fun, yeah. That's when it turns out the best. Yeah. Honestly. And of course, that's always my main goal. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't love it. You yeah. Know? It wouldn't be worth my time. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're in a better place. I guess this kind of, that kind of leads into like, make once enough. What yeah. exactly is that? What is that? Oh, damn. I didn't know you had the tattoo. Yeah. Can we yeah. hear a little bit about what that is to you? It, honestly, the best way that I've been able to explain it to people, it's kind of like YOLO, but not in that aspect, like obviously YOLO's like do stupid shit because you only live once. Make once enough is more like we're only here once. No matter what you believe, I don't give a fuck what you are. The opportunity we have to live in this body, in this world right now is the only chance we get at this. It's once. Mm-hmm. So make it enough, you know, enjoy it. Follow your dreams, follow what you want to do and, and don't fucking let yourself down. Mm-hmm. You know, be the best you can be, enjoy it and make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, sit here and suffer and bow down to everybody else make the most of it and have some fucking fun don't be wasting your time that kind of ties in perfectly to like why i wanted to do this because i was always scared of everybody else judging me for doing what i wanted to do yeah absolutely so that's crazy we're kind of on the same wavelength in that aspect yeah uh you talked a little bit about is that guy's name james yeah Uh, yeah my producer i've been seeing him a lot like on instagram and stuff he's like a lot of people are working at service. Yeah, he's right. working with a lot of people now. When I started working with him, I was like either his first or second client at the like mm-hmm. studio. So it was super early on and now he's so fucking busy all the time. Like he's always got people in there. And obviously I still meet with him pretty regularly. Like we're getting back to on a weekly basis now where we're getting in the studio weekly and getting shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fucking sweet. It makes me happy to see somebody like taking the music here serious. 
And it's good to see people in IF like actually coming together. So I feel like yeah. that's a problem. Like, I, I, ne I never understood like you don't see people working together more. We'll be right back after this quick commercial. <laughs> a beer, all right. <laughs> <laughs> or a Monaco. I guess I can't call it a beer. Sponsored by Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it's crazy because my thing growing up is, and my whole thing with all this stuff and what I want to achieve, obviously, is Idaho has one of like the highest depression and suicide rates in the whole country. You know, know people, yeah, things are, are pretty bad here with mental health. And obviously it's very conservative and, you know, so a lot of that aspect, they don't, mental health isn't a big thing. You know, they're well, bust your ass, brush it off with some dirt, you know, and nothing against that's how I grew up. And, you know, I still am a little bit, you know, yeah. obviously that's that's my roots, but it's brush it off and deal with it. You know, nobody cares about what the shit that goes on inside your head. And growing up, I saw it affect my dad and then eventually it affected me and it's affected my mom. And mental health has always been a big thing for me. So it's like I want to be able to bring people together and help people understand that they're not alone. Like everybody, you know, everybody goes through this shit. Life is hard. It's not fucking sunshine and roses, you know, and everybody has their own fucking problems, whether that was a scrape on their knee or a fucking, you know, watching their dad die, you know, different things happen to different people. And the most traumatic thing you can experience is your own, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it was just a big thing for me trying to help people come together and not feel like they're alone. Cause I felt super alone growing up. And then obviously I found like juice world and, and things like that, that really helped me understand like shit, like other people feel the same way I do. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not the only one that feels like this shit. Yeah. Okay. But well, like personally, I always like, that's kind of the music I gravitate towards when like yeah. you can tell that they're using it as an outlet, not just trying to get clout or like, yeah, exactly. So like try and blow up, you know what I mean? Yeah, and obviously that's a portion of it. I mean, flexing and like fucking, you know, <laughs> obviously I, I want the fucking biggest wash. I don't care if that shit hurt my wrist. Like <laughs> I want a fucking AP. I want a Brolex. Like obviously I want that shit. I want the fucking money. You know, I that's a factor for me. I'm a fucking sales agent. You think that I don't want money? Like, yeah, I do. Yeah, so what, what are you, what's your full-time job? So I actually sell credit repair for a company called Lexington Law Firm. So I take, essentially, people call me at work or get transferred to me mm -hmm. at a call center, and I sell them credit repair mm -hmm. and try and help them fucking fix their credit, essentially. Which is super cool because I'm not just selling a service to somebody, but I'm actually making an impact on their life because yeah. a lot of these people can't get houses and shit yeah. and can't get you know cars to get to work. So they're paying like $2,000 a month in fucking Uber bills and shit. Yeah. Because their credit scores are like 450, so they can't get anything. So I actually, I get people set up with credit repair to help them fix their credit and get that on track. Yeah. And then obviously I make a commission yeah. off of those packages that I sell. That's and sweet I'm that you're super good at it. Well, that's good <laughs> to hear. And it's sweet that you're like, I don't know, I, I could never be in a position where like you're being a salesman and you know that you're just shoveling shit into their face, you know? Yeah. So it's cool to hear that you're doing something. And it does feel like that sometimes because obviously there's company policies like I can't let the people go, you know, I can't. I can't yeah. just hang up on them, you know, yeah. like I have to fight to get them to sign up, which sometimes you feel a little bit guilty for. But in reality, these people are trying to get a house. These people are trying to get a car. Yeah. You know, even though they may have to pay for this service, this service might be the only way they're able to get that. Yeah. So is it really me pushing them to make them buy? All right. We had a little uh, technical difficulties, but we're back. Um, so let's kind of wrap this thing up, man. 
I guess my first question is, what is your ultimate goal with making music? I just want to be the best I can be, you know, obviously the best is an objective, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's somebody's opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, so obviously being the best is somebody else's opinion. Mm -hmm. So I just want to be the best me that I can be, you know, obviously I want to have some number ones on billboard. That's, that's the main goal, you know, (laughs) get some, I want to have music that charts and I want to have music that reaches people. Um, whether that's independent or I sign to a label is something for the future. You know, um, I would love to stay independent, but I also know how difficult that is to grind. and how difficult yeah. it can be. Cause obviously I've been independent since I've started and I'm still independent. Mm-hmm. So if obviously if the right deal came for me, I would take it. I'm not going to sign a shitty deal though. That's one thing I'm very, you know, cautious of. I'm a big follower of Russ and he obviously says to stay independent, but he also has talked about how he did sign a deal and his biggest album, which is, uh, there's was a wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Really was a wolf. What that album, I can't remember entirely what it's called. He was with a label and it's his biggest album. Mm -hmm. And he signed that label because he got a good deal. He got the deal he wanted. Which is something that I understand too. I want to be able to get a deal. I want Twenty One Savage has seventy percent ownership of his masters with his label. Damn. You know, I want to make sure that my label doesn't fuck me over if I sign to one. Mm-hmm. So I'm not willing to sign a bad deal. But if a good deal does come my way, I'm more than willing to be like, "Hey, I'll take that shit." Fuck yeah. Is there any labels like in Idaho or like Salt Lake? Or I think there's some in Salt Lake. Realistically, if I'm gonna sign to a label though. Yeah, it's gonna be Columbia, or if Polo G approached me, I would definitely take that deal for Shout sure. Out Polo G. Yeah, if he hears this shit and wants to sign me, I will definitely take that. Um, you know, he's one of my idols for sure. I I really look up to him. His shit's very, very real as well. Yeah, and I like what he's speaking on. Um, obviously, I didn't grow up in the fucking the streets but i did grow up with some fucking delinquents and do yeah. some fucking delinquent shit so well and you fucking been through a lot of shit man i mean it's dude not... yeah no the first guy i met in jail was fucking killed his dad bro damn <laughs> shot him twice in the fucking head jesus you're like what the fuck dude he was actually <laughs> such a, he was a good guy though his dad was super abusive and he was 12 damn when he killed his dad and he did like eight years or some shit he did a lot of time and he was a super good kid. He yeah. just fucking, his dad like beat the shit out of him and all sorts of stuff. So he fucking killed him. That's that's the first guy I met. And then my <laughs> bunkmate fucking robbed a guy at gunpoint and beat him with a fucking baseball bat. And Damn. There was some shit. And I was like, bro, I'm here for pot and y'all are here for some <laughs> wild shit. I'm not in the big leagues, you know? Like, yeah. Okay. What's the craziest story from five? You were in 5C, right? Yeah, I've been to 5C and I've been to JCC. So, between the two of them, what's the craziest story? So, fuck. There's a, oh shit, dude. So, there was this one time in JCC, okay? So, there, we would eat lunch and shit in the chow hall, mm-hmm. right? And it was like they, for some reason, we used like military terms in there. Like the bathroom was called the big head or the little head, which mm-hmm. is like military terms, I believe. And then the chow hall was like our fucking lunchroom. So that's where all the groups would eat. And there was two girls groups. And one of the girls in these. You were in there with girls? Like you shared the cafeteria with. 
with yeah we shared the cafeteria but the girls were on like a different yeah. cottage so like in a different building that's so fucking we, weird we didn't yeah. intermingle at all yeah. but we did eat in the same fucking chow hall i mean it was juvie it wasn't like fucking adult prison yeah. it was juvie so that's true they were on the exact opposite side of the room, but one of these bitches in that group was a terrorist or some shit from what I understand, okay? <laughs> like, straight terrorist, like, had plans to do some bombings and shit from what I have been told. Wild shit, had a crazy childhood, had been to, through a ton of trauma, and she was fucking crazy. And so she had fucked with some other girl's bitch. Oh, and done some shit with this other girl's like bitch in there from what I have been told to understand. Mm. And that's just the story I've heard from that part. But what I saw was one bitch come around the whole ass lunchroom table. Cause it was like cafeteria tables. Okay. Yeah. She comes running around the table and she grabs this bitch and throws her on the ground and she hits her one time with her right hand and socks her in the fucking eye. And it, it's the terrorist girl getting hit. And she fucking, they take the other girl's arm, right arm back and she uses her fucking left and she hooks another two at her left eye. And the next day we're walking into Chow and I look over and the fucking terrorist bitch has two big ass black eyes, like giant. Um, And then the other one, two weeks, I was in there two weeks and I was, we were going to bed at night. And I had this one peer. I'm not going to say his name, obviously. Um, But let's call him, you know, uh, Richard. Bailey Page. Richard. We'll call him Richard. (laughs) Okay. Um, Richard had gone into what we called the little head. It was like the bathroom that was in the dorm room that we lived in. Because it wasn't like cells. It was like a big dorm room that that our group was in. Mm -hmm. Um, And he went to the bathroom. And we had a woman staff that night, so she couldn't check the bathroom. And he had stuffed his cinch bag down his pants. And he went in the bathroom and he put that around the toilet and then put the string around his neck and leaned forward to hang himself. Damn. And fucking um, the staff goes, hey, like, Richard, are you, are you in there? And he doesn't answer. And she's like, Richard, are, are you in there? And, like, he doesn't respond. And this goes on for probably 30 seconds. And then... Um, the kid on the bunk next to me on the bottom, he gets up and he, uh, the staff is like, Hey, you know, Marlo go check on him. And Marlo gets up and goes to the fucking bathroom and he goes, yo, Richard, what the fuck? And we're not allowed to swear in there. There's, that's not fucking tolerated. Like it's juvie. They're not going to let us swear. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit, something's bad. Like, this ain't right. So I get up and run over there. So I'm the second one over there. And he is fucking passed out. His face is bright fucking red. He is out cold as fucking day. And his fucking pants are around his ankles. So I pull his pants up for him because he fucking did it with his pants down like he was taking a shit. Yeah. So I pulled his pants up for him. And he put his, he started hitting his head on the ground all of a sudden like he was like fucking seasoned or some shit. So I tried to hold his head. Um, so he wouldn't hit his fucking head on the ground and the staff's like, Hey, don't put your fingers under your, under his head. Like they'll get smashed on the fucking ground. Don't do that shit. And I'm like, I'm trying to fucking stop like him from hitting his head hard. Like, yo, I don't give a fuck about my fingers. And so he fucking seizes and the ambulance comes. And the funny thing is, dude, the ambulance comes and it was so close to my hometown, the facility that the ambulance driver 
was my fucking one of my best friend's grandmas and she like fucking looks at me and waves and i'm like hi (laughs) and he was fucking he had to he was on like suicide precautions for like a couple weeks but the next day we woke up and there was like blood vessels bursted all over his face like bright red spots and shit that was probably crazy because he was like 30 seconds from being dead that was super wild so i didn't i didn't understand so how did he do it i didn't understand that part so he like he put the cinch bag over so imagine there's you know like the metal like the toilets at a grocery store and shit that aren't the automated ones you know and they have the back on them that's like metal and Mm. it just comes up and there's a handle he wrapped the bag like the top of the bag around that um, metal piece and then put the string around his neck that was on the bag and leaned forward to hang himself Oh, dude, that sounds fucking miserable. Like, so he yeah, would just lean. He was yeah. just leaning forward until he passed out, and then it would obviously continue to lean him forward. Yeah, you know. God, that's dark, dude. So that was that was super crazy, dude. And I'd only been in the group there for like two weeks, and I was like, shit. This is this fucked. is like the shit I'm gonna experience. <laughs> obviously, it really calmed down after a while, though. Shit got pretty mellow. Yeah. And it was really chill. All of my peers were pretty pretty tolerant, you know. Yeah. And nobody really fucked with each other for most of the time. I had a dude fucking, we had him restrained on the ground and he grabbed my dick and balls and fucking oh. squoze, dude. And I, I fucking elbowed his stomach so fucking hard. <laughs> I just like, cause we're not, obviously we weren't supposed to be hitting him even if he was being restrained. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of snuck that fucking elbow right at his stomach as hard as I could. <laughs> Little fucking twerp. I don't get, if you're out there fucking dickhead, fuck you. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. You know oh, who you dude. are. He's a bitch. I bet he would too, because he's a little fucking he's a fanboy weirdo. Like he's a fucking he's a fanboy of everybody that was in there. He's kind of a fucking weirdo. <laughs> Alright, well, on a lighter note. <laughs> yeah. Uh are you working on anything right now? You got any shows coming up or any projects? Yes, I do have a new song coming out. Uh how soon? Uh, let's think. What is that like? Four weeks. You excited? Oh, dude, this one's <laughs> this one's different. And I've been teasing it a little bit, mm-hmm. and I haven't told anybody that it's coming out. And mm-hmm. now here you go, it's coming out. It'll you heard be it here first. It'll be yes, sir. It'll be here February eighteenth. Awesome. It's called Work This Out. It's mm-hmm. fucking. It is one of my favorite songs. Awesome. I will allude to the fact that it's it's about the fact of when you're fighting with somebody that you really love, you mm-hmm. know, and the struggles that that has. Because obviously in every relationship, in every life, you know, things are not always fucking perfect. So there are fights, there are arguments and things. Yeah. So that was something that I really wanted to allude to as well. That's awesome, man. I'm excited for that. What about, uh, what about shows? You got anything lined up right now? Not yet. Um, with fucking everything that's going on with COVID, obviously I don't. I don't fucking believe in a lot of the shit that's going on. Yeah. I don't fucking care about it at this point. Yeah. It's kind of hard to believe for me. I understand it is a fucking sickness and it's a fucking disease and it hurts people and it can kill some people, but so does the flu and so does cancer yeah. and, and so does all of this shit. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point where it's like, hey, this is really bad. This will kill so many people. And then it was like, hey, this is getting even worse. It's so bad. It's really going to kill people. And now they're like, and they're like, get the vaccine and get these things. You know, you need one. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, you need, three. You need two. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, you need three. And now there's, they're like, you need four. They've come out with a fourth one. And 
now they're saying with the new fucking variant that's out there, they're like, oh, this isn't as bad. It's not a big deal. It's it's okay. And I'm just like, fucking get your story straight. I don't yeah. know what to believe here. Yeah. You real. know, obviously I don't have proof of either side. I don't, I'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist that's like, hey, they're putting chips in us. Yeah. But I'm also not going to be the dude that says, hey, go get this. It's good for you. Because yeah. I don't know what's in that shit. I don't know what to do. And really? I'm, I'm personally not willing to sacrifice myself to figure it out. Yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir, bro. Yeah. <laughs> So no shows. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, with, yeah. So with that stuff and with everything that's going on, the world is so weird, yeah. and there's so many things that could go wrong right now that I just don't want to do anything dramatic yet. And obviously, I'm trying to develop a little bit more of a fan base before I do anything more. I I really want. I think 2022 really could be a good year mm-hmm. for the stuff that's going on. 2022 was really hard for a lot of artists. Just the ways that it went, obviously, we you really mean, thought. Do you mean 21? Yeah, 2020 and 2021. Gotcha. Okay. So, gotcha. sorry. Um, yeah, so things with both those years, it's just been really hard as an artist, like yeah. everything that's going on. So, I really want 2022 to do a little bit better. I've obviously stepped out of my comfort zone. I'm trying to do some TikToks uh, and do, and I'm going to be doing some different kind of marketing with the new song, obviously, that's coming out to try and get that mm-hmm. to broader audience audiences um, and try and get a little bit more numbers I guess you could say Mm -hmm. um, before I do anything else dramatic because I want things that I'm doing to be worth it like I want to have a show again that has 300 to 600 people Mm -hmm. you know not you know obviously I really love the small shows that are so intimate when there's only you know 15 20 people there you really can get intimate with the audience but Sometimes when there's only four or five people there, dude, it, it kind of feels shitty to be there. So it's awkward, man. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I want to be able to be somebody that can bring out an audience mm-hmm. for the people that promote the show and do the things that they're doing. Yeah. You know, I don't want to take a show where I'm only going to sell 10 tickets, you know? Yeah. So well, that's something I've been working 2020 on. 2020 is your... 2022 is your year. I know it's weird to say, man. It's weird to say 2022. So my final question, and this is how I've been wrapping up every episode. Ask every person on here. So there's somebody listening to this right now that's scared to make music or really do whatever they want to do. They're scared because they're scared of what everybody's going to say or that they might fail. Whatever it is, what would you tell them? Dude, that's something I've struggled with too. Yeah. Obviously, it's always going to be hard to not worry a little bit about what people are going to think and what people are going to do. It's human fucking nature. Yeah. But sometimes you just got to say, fuck it, you mm-hmm. know, and just do it. It doesn't fucking fuck them and fuck everything else. Just do it. Yeah. If it's what you want to do, then it's what you want to fucking do. Yeah. Why? If it's really what's going to make you happy and That's it's what's going to make you what you want like in life. Why the fuck does it matter what everybody else thinks about that? Yeah. If it's what makes you happy, yeah. you know, like if it really makes you happy, why does it matter what everybody else fucking thinks about it? Yeah. You know, make once enough, baby. Yeah. Fucking send it. All right. Well, I appreciate you doing this, man. Appreciate it coming on, being so honest and open. Of course. This has been an honest, convers- awesome conversation. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody.